You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Really good to see you all today on this bank holiday weekend. And um, for those of you new here, we are in the middle of a, a series that we're going to be running through actually to the end of the year where we're essentially looking at the life of Jesus and particularly the area of mission. We really sense God is leading us as a church community to establish, create, form a culture of mission and evangelism in the life of the church so that we are regularly seeing people uh, come to faith. And so the inspiration behind this is we want to be a Jesus people. We believe that's what God is calling us to be. A Jesus people who look like Jesus, who follow Jesus, who do the things that Jesus did. And it sounds cliche, but if you're new to church, new to Christianity, the answer is always Jesus. That's what we teach everyone, the kids and the youth. Just say Jesus and you'll probably get the answer right. And so we want to, I think, with the turmoil the last few years, uh, we want to see our confidence uh, restored in the gospel, to have courage to share, and we want to make much of Jesus, and that's our central story. And so if you've ever been on a walk or a hike and you've gotten lost, and and the relief of when you're finally back on track and finally arrive where you want to arrive, um, there's a sense right now that the terrain has been difficult, the the map isn't right, the compass has been broken, uh, the routes back home are many, and, uh, and so we need to get back to the main and plain. We need to get back to Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom of God, seeing people come to faith, the plumb line of the Bible. And so we want to equip people and train you as a church how to do the stuff again. And so this is the journey that we are on. We passionately believe that in our society, which is really broken right now, that to know Christ is better than anything or anyone. And if we're so in love with Jesus, then we, we can't help but talk about him and share him with others, that Jesus is really better than falling in love. Jesus is better than marriage. Jesus is better than having kids. Jesus is better than your dream career and your dream home, your dream holidays, that Jesus is better than life itself. And so when we're so consumed by him as a Jesus people, it will spill out into our city and to our community. This is the vision, this is the goal, this is what we're shooting for. And and Joni and I, along with about 40 of us here, were away at our national conference last week, and I really encourage you to uh, go on YouTube and watch the sessions. They were absolutely amazing. I've been going to a conference for 20 years. It's probably the best one I've ever been to and what God is stirring right now in our movement and in our nation. But Joni and I, get to, as senior pastors, get to have this prophecy uh, workshop. We go, we sit on a sofa, and a whole bunch of people come and prophesy over us, and we press the record button on the iPhone. for We had about 35 minutes worth of prophecy. And it was just, that stuff just blows my mind still. I've, I've been walking with Jesus over 30 years, walking that stuff, and every time... It's like, wow, God does speak. God does know what's going on in your life. 
And it's just absolutely amazing. And um, we joked in the car park before we went in the session. I, well, I joked uh, to Joni. I said, I bet the first person to come and speak to us will make reference to my trainers. <laughs> I just said it. And um, it's a weird thing, but having uh, four children, do you know, you never get to buy new shoes. I like my shoes, preachers with sneakers, I'm a big, big fan. But, um, you know, every time I think, do you know what, I'll treat myself to some new shoes. Uh, one of the kids has just gone up another size and you have to go, not that I resent them or anything, it's just, uh, <laughs> that's just the season I'm in as a dad. And so, um, and this year, bizarrely, I've, I really felt, and it, you may think, do you pray about this stuff? And like, yeah, sometimes I do. That God said, I want you to go buy a whole bunch of new shoes and trainers. So I just went and I just got like four new pairs, which I'm hoping will last me for the next 25 years. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, that was, that's kind of weird. And, and we sat down to recording and then this guy comes up and said, I was just looking at your trainers, <laughs> both of your trainers. And he said, the weird thing is I had a dream last night and it's for you guys. And I kept seeing these trainers in my dream and it's the trainers I'm seeing now. And I kept on thinking about the armor of God and the feet being fitted with the shoes of the gospel. In other words, that's the part of the armor of God where we get to go and share the gospel with other people in mission. And he said to us, and that is the season we as a church are being called into. To go with the gospel, with mission to our community. And I just laughed. God, it's just, it's just a, then, then I cried, then I laughed, then I cried. And just to know again, just that confidence, that's what prophecy does, it doesn't often tell you anything new, it just confirms what God's already speaking to you in your heart. And it's to encourage us, and I really believe this is the season that God has us in as a church. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the passing of a hero of the Christian faith, who for them, Jesus and mission was everything. George Verver, the founder of Operation Mobilization, there he is, what a cool guy. And he, he never went too far without a globe of the world, and then if you can see the, the world, a map of the world as a jacket, I need to get one of those. And um, he sent and trained people into mission, especially the unreached places of the world, seeing millions come to faith, millions equipped with the scriptures, uh, but what I love is kind of like the beginning story of his life because um, when he and his wife were converted to Christ, um, they prioritized their service to the Lord and um, sold actually some of their wedding gifts that they were given to fund a six-month outreach to Mexico City before moving to Spain where they actually established Operation Mobilization from there. And then while in Europe, they smuggled Bibles into communist-controlled countries and then was arrested, deported. And then during a time of private prayer in Austria, he climbed a tree and saw a group of young people boarding a bus. And in that moment, the name Operation Mobilization sprang to his mind and this idea of busloading young people into mission. There was one guy who was completely, utterly transfixed on Jesus and his mission. And I contrast that with actually what's going on in our culture right now, and it is a huge, uh, 
It is a huge contrast. The BBC reported on something recently called FOMOMG, the fear of missing out on my goals. The model Leomi Anderson used the term in a recent column for the female-focused website LAPP. Despite having a top modeling career, a big fan base, her own clothing line, the 25-year-old from South London still finds she questions her achievements. She says this, why do I feel like I'm running out of time to achieve my goals? At 18, I wanted a house by 23. At 23, I wanted to have yearly earnings of nearly a million by 25. By 26, I wanted my mom to be able to retire. None of these things have happened for me, and every day I feel anxious, wondering when my big modeling contract will come or when that big brand decide to believe in me. Emily Thomas deleted her social media due to F-O-M-O-M-G. Something that Emily from Manchester can relate to. She got married in July, owns a house with a husband, has a job in PR, but has still experienced this. A month after I got married, I was off work with stress. I got to the point I deleted my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I felt so miserable about my own life, I was struggling to see what was in front of me. And she says she felt like she should be happy, but wasn't because she hadn't lived up to her own expectations, such as her goal to go traveling. So right now, not only does our culture, particularly our young people, have a crisis of identity, but also, I believe, a crisis of purpose. And the key to fulfillment, the key to happiness, is... Of course, Jesus, but in Jesus, know what you were made to do in life. The purpose for your life should be the thing that gets you up in a morning, the call of God on our lives, the story of our lives. And we're in a culture right now where there's so many competing stories and narratives. It's really difficult for us to discern and figure out, hey, this is the way I should be going. Because lots of people are telling me it should be this way and that way. There are many causes, millions of causes that can distract us and take our time and our focus. One of the speakers last week was a guy called Ed Stetzer, and he says this, the moment we are in does not pause the mission that we are on. So it doesn't really matter about the moment that we're in. Yes, we need to discern the times and the seasons that we're in, but it does not pause the mission that God has for us as followers of Christ. And what we have here at the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew are the words of the risen Jesus presenting to each and every one of us, and this is unifying for us, is our unifying mission statement, our purpose, the call of God on our lives, that no matter what differing stories and narratives we have going on, different seasons of our life, different work, different commitments, this is the thing, the central thing that should be the filter for all that we do. This is the purpose for our lives. This is the script, if you like, for our lives. It's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This should be the purpose and story of our lives as followers of Christ. 
with all that's going on right now, the turmoil of our world, this is our central story. The great missionary C.T. Studd said this, believing that further delay would be sinful, some of God's insignificance and nobody's in particular, but trusting in our omnipotent God have decided on certain simple lines. According to the book of God, to make a definite attempt to render the evangelization of the world an accomplished fact. Too long have we been waiting for one another to begin. The time for waiting is past. The hour of God has struck. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. And the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. He, say, he says there, we have decided on certain simple Lines And today I just want to unpack for a moment the certain simple lines of the Great Commission, which has to be the story and the script of our lives. And for its brilliance, and actually its brilliance and its simplicity, I have found over the years as a follower of Christ and as a pastor, this is strangely ignored by much of the church. Ignored by the church. It's amazing how the very instructions of Jesus to the church can so easily be sidelined. Um, I was thinking about us as a church community and, and, and kind of thinking about this question. How many people as a church, whole Vineyard Church, should we see baptized in a year? Now, some of you might get a bit edgy at this point, thinking, oh, I'm not comfortable in numbers. Well, you might, you might struggle with the book of Acts. But um, how many people should we see baptized in a year? Our church has a uh, a budget of going towards half a million pounds. We own prof- this property in the land. In terms of assets, worth 1.4 million. We're about to build nearly a million pound Hope Center each month. Hundreds, if not thousands, connect online. There are 300,000 people in our city. Hundreds come here. About 600 people call this their home. And Jesus gives us here a command, not a suggestion that our focus as a church should be this, the Great Commission. This is our marching orders from the risen Jesus to us as a church community. No matter what is going on, all the resources, all the people, we should be going, discipling people, baptizing them, and then they get to do the same. And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, it's wonderful the growth. It's wonderful the people who are coming to faith and the people who are being baptized and God is doing an amazing thing. We're working towards um, in October a church-wide Alpha course and city-wide Alpha course. We want to invite the city home through Alpha. Then we've hired out the city hall in town. J. John will be coming. We're working towards this. But every day we are on mission. We're a people on mission, and that has to be our focus. When we're looking at all the different things going on, we have to go, yeah, but are we seeing people come to faith and people baptized? For all the great stuff God has given us and all the resources, what is the output and the outcome? And this clearly isn't a peripheral issue for Jesus. This is his main and plain. And I think the drama of, 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 of COVID, if you like, has led to a marginalization of this. And I, I think what we're doing in this series and what we're trying to do as a church is a bit of a realignment. I know uh, realignment to me is such a chiropractic word. It, it seems uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable. But that's kind of what's going on. It's like a painful, uncomfortable realignment and refocusing to our lives that 
Maybe we've just kind of bunkered down because of what's happened and maybe the pain of the last few years and it's, we've actually stopped getting uncomfortable again as a follower of Jesus. Actually, you know, like, let, let's pay the cost, count the cost for what does it mean to be a disciple, that some of us will be marginalized and persecuted and slandered against. Some of us may find we have to go to prison. This is the era that we're in in terms of a post-Christian era. And I, and I think about um, the ministry of Jesus, and I just want to kind of put this diagram up for a moment, if we just have, have that up. And you'll see here um, that really our lives and what they could look like, and often the reality is, is we do lean towards comfort. But now I look at the, the ministry of Jesus, if you go to the next slide, Jesus' ministry is rarely in the place of comfort, caution, or concern. You see, most of the things that he's doing is in the place of criticism and darkness. And there's just some, a few of, the, few of the examples, but if we go through, and we will be going through the Gospels, we'll see that actually the, the call and the mission of Christ is in a place of often criticism and darkness. Could you go to the next slide, please? And if you think about comfort and caution, not that much. In fact, barely Jesus' ministry is in that place. It's an uncomfortable message, isn't it? Are you okay? <laughs> um, and so I, I'm thinking about my life, and I'm thinking about us as a church, and we've got to recognize that um, we've got to step out of comfort into darkness. And that means we've got to go. This is great. I love Sundays. It's just amazing, but we've got to go. And I, I love the things that are happening. You know, the church isn't just what's happening here in terms of a gathered environment, but it's what's happening. We've heard some testimonies already today about tomorrow morning, we're at it straight away. But it's, we've all individually have got to take up the mission of God and we've got to go. Now notice in the Great Commission, this is really important, it's bookended by two key things. Two incredible, powerful truths. And we need to understand this before we really grasp what, it was, what does it mean to go. First of all, authority. That's really good news, isn't it? We don't get to go in our own authority, but we get to go in Christ's authority. When we launched something many years ago at the university, it's like street angels. Anyone heard of street angels? And the idea was to help people, students, who are, often they were being attacked and as we want to be the church, we step into that area, and so we help people go home. And I remember being on, on duty one night on the rotor, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest of guys, I'm, I'm slender, you know, I had my little jam jar glasses on at the time, and uh, I, had this, I had this yellow jacket. And kind of like the car park team, that made me feel like extra special. And I remember... And I, there was a bunch of guys, and I, I think they were from the, the football team or the rugby team, and they were like kicking. There's like we had some blo uh, kind of temporary police headquarters there at the university, like in a, a porter cabin, and they were kicking the porter cabin, and just they were just wasted. And I remember I went up there, and I said, "Can you stop that, please?" I don't know why I did that. I must have been crazy. And they did. Now it wasn't me. It was the fact I had the yellow jacket on. They thought, oh, I'm, I might just be somebody who could be important, who has some kind of, is in official capacity. Same with police, isn't it? If a, guy, if a police 
man or woman's not in their uniform and they try and stop the traffic, you might just keep going. But the moment they get the uniform on, it's like, wow, we, we probably should stop now. And this is the authority, and we must recognize that authority is something we grow in, and that is parallel to the authority that we give to Christ over our own lives. When we come under submission to the authority of Christ, then we grow in authority and power. But this is Jesus, and so when we go and do the Jesus stuff, we need to recognize that it's in his authority, it's in his name. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. There is nothing in this universe that is exempt from the authority of Christ. No corner of the created universe of which Jesus does not claim rightful sovereignty. Now this has been passed on to his church. We are now the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and he gives us his authority. We go in his name. And that kind of authority is awesome. So you might think, oh, you know, what, what can I bring to the table? What can I ever say? What can I say to my colleague at work who's struggling right now? But you just need to recognize it's you in Christ and Christ in you. And his authority is awesome. Look what Paul said to the church of Colossae. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so in everything he might have the supremacy. So when we share the gospel, when we lay hands upon the sick, it's in his authority. Now, Book ended at the end. As we go, he is with us. So not only do we have his authority, but we know that we have his presence and power with us, and he is with us until the end of the age. So there's this idea that Jesus is going with us on mission. Isn't that, isn't that good news? There will be days where it's difficult to muster the courage to say something. There'll be days where you want to shrink back. There'll be days which are costly. But what brings a sense of Christian fearlessness to the heart of a believer is that he is with us. We don't get to do this on our own. And, and I think I'm right in saying this, but I, what I glean from that is that actually it's in our going that we increase in authority and he's with us. A lot of people want to go, yeah, I know I have the authority, uh, yeah, I know he's with us, but don't go. Uh, but actually, I believe it's as we go, we see his authority and we see his presence and power in a whole new level. But it's as we go. I know for years, much of the church has longed for the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, but aren't willing to go. And it's easy in church. It's easy when we're around other Christians. But it's all about entering into other people's worlds. That's really good news that the weight and responsibility of sharing our faith and evangelism isn't on us, but it's actually Jesus doing the work and we get to go with him. The great founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, used the term provenient grace. And it's this wonderfully, and I've always gone with this, wonderfully liberating doctrine that the Holy Spirit 
goes before us in the sharing of the gospel and we just follow to where he's at. So the question for us daily as we are on mission is, Jesus, where are you in the room right now? What are you doing? Who are you working with? And we just get to join in. It really does take the pressure off. We're not trying to muster something up and convince people to come into the kingdom, but we're just tracking what God is doing. He is the one who opens the eyes. The enemy is blinding the eyes, and the Holy Spirit is opening the eyes as we pray and share Christ as Lord in the authority of his name, the power of his word, and the boldness and anointing of the Spirit. That's when we begin to see breakthrough. Now, note the, the simple two-letter word there, go. Now, for some of us, it has been, and some of us, it will be, and maybe today God's calling you to this, but maybe it's going to mean like you going on a plane and going to another country and, and being a missionary. But I think really what this is referring to is that as you go, as you go to work, as you go to the gym, as you go to your neighbor's house, as you go school walking, as you go on a walk with the dog, as you go for a coffee, whatever you do, as you go, do the stuff. See, some of us are waiting, or God hasn't told me to go yet. And you need to realize that the Great Commission is as we are going, that's when we get to do the stuff. So the real question for us is, is how are we going? And I want to give you three simple ways how we can go. First of all, hospitality. One of the things I believe that God is doing in our season is he's wanting us to create porches of connection with people who don't know him. So right now in our house, and I grew up with a house like this, is that before you get into the hallway, there's a little porch. And before people enter into people's homes in terms of the church, in terms of Christianity, in terms of the faith, maybe there's an area, a porch, where you can engage with people. Because the hurdles that people have in order to embrace the discipleship walk of Christ, it may feel so big right now in our culture. But what God is wanting us to do in terms of and this is a lot of what we're doing with our compassion work, is we're creating safe places, porches, in order to engage with people. One of those is hospitality. We're not talking about having all your best friends from church around for dinner. That's not hospitality, okay? That's good, and we, should, we, we like that. Okay, we should definitely do that as a community. But I'm talking about throwing open the doors of our home and our lives to people who don't know Jesus, particularly those who may be completely different to us. The Bible talks about hospitality. That's the kind of thing it's talking about. It's engaging with the alien, the stranger. And for us, that is corporately, particularly immigrants, refugees, people who are often on the margins welcoming them home. And so I think a real simple way for us as a church is how do we go? Let's go in hospitality. Let's throw open the porch of our lives and our homes and our families to engage with people. And it's really simple. Just uh, recently we had um, some of our neighbors round. And, you know, you, you put on a spread, you welcome them, and it doesn't take long. Probably, in our case, probably a bit quicker knowing that we pastor a church an hour, two hours before the questions start to come out. Okay, so you do this, you do that. And, and, and then three hours later it comes out that the, the, uh, the, the woman says, 
oh, my dad was a vicar. And that's turned her the other way. But we're able to speak into that. And it just comes through some good food. Get a nice bottle of wine and just throw open the doors of your home to people. Secondly, evangelism. And that E word, I call it the E word because it's kind of like freaks people out. And there's many aspects to this. It's the proclamation, the demonstration of the gospel. But let's just start here. Can I pray for you? Think about those people in your world or even the bystanders, bystanders that you connect with on a daily basis and just say, how can I pray for you? And they may say, look, I don't have a faith, I don't believe in God. And you're like, I, I didn't ask that. I said, can I pray for you? And it's amazing how that just undoes people. And it's so simple. And what we're saying is that actually in doing that, we're getting out of the way and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to move. And I'm sure that, and it does, it leads people to a conversation about Jesus. It's amazing how people begin to open up and about various things that are going on in their life and with their struggles, with maybe with their marriage or with kids or with work. And then you're able to circle back, maybe it's somebody at work, and you say, hey, I've been praying for you. Can you just tell me how that thing's going? How's that situation going? And it's amazing what can happen. It's really important that we share our story with people in that. But it's really important that we're not just sharing our story because we can get into a place where we're just sharing and swapping stories. But actually, we want to share the story of God. This is how Jesus came into my life, and this is what he's done to my life, and this is the transformation it's brought. But then also, we get to give an answer to the hope that we have and the reason that why we follow him. At the recent GAFCON conference, which is an Anglican conference in Rwanda, one former Muslim who persecuted Christians is now ordained and has been baptizing other Muslim background believers in the most extraordinary places around the world. Now catch this, he had to visit his own grave after his parents declared him dead and buried him, actually buried him in an empty coffin following his conversion. Now that's cost. Just put yourself in their shoes, but these stories of revival is happening all over the world. I don't know about you, but I want to join in. I want to bear the cost and the scars of being a Jesus follower in our generation. Thirdly, faithful presence. You've shown hospitality, you've shared the gospel, you've prayed for people. What about just faithful presence? There's a story of a new convert to Christ coming to mind, Luther. He's the father of the Great Reformation. He comes to him and says, hey, I've just become a Christian. How am I to faithfully serve the Lord? And Luther asked him, well, what do you do? And he said, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes. To which Luther said, then make a great shoe and sell it at a fair price. Faithful presence in us as men and women is fulfilling our God-given obligation to work hard, to seek to serve all, and to walk in a type of humility for the sake of the world. And so for all our evangelism and all our hospitality, if we don't show up faithfully for Christ, say at work, then it means nothing. And we can witness on behalf of Jesus in terms of signs and wonders and power and all these kind of stuff, but if we don't witness his likeness, character, then we're going to be caught short at every point. People will see that there's not an authenticity about our lives. So faithful 
presence is the thing that kind of undergirds and is the foundation to all these things. And so we have this going on that as we go, as we're hospitable, as we're praying uh, for people, as we're showing up in faithful presence, is that multiplication begins to happen. We're marked by baptism. This is my new way of life. I'm publicly saying that Christ is Lord and then part of discipleship is being taught and trained into mission. And so it has a cyclical and a multiplying effect. And that is why you have a dozen people, a dozen disciples, suddenly we're now two, three billion around the world because of this strategy that Jesus had. It may not be the strategy that we would have picked. Maybe we just liked stadiums and the gospel to be shared and people come to the front and all that's good, but actually right now in our culture, post-Christian world, as um, on the margins of society, it's going to take harder work to engage with people. And here are some of the things that we can do. Let me just finish with a story and I'll pray. The founder of the, the Navigators He said this, I will not put my head on a pillow without sharing Jesus with one person. Now you may think that's legalism. Do I really have to share the Lord with one person every single day? But this guy went to bed one night and he was so tired and the Holy Spirit whispered to him, you haven't told anyone today. Imagine getting that word when you're in bed late at night. And so he goes, yeah, you're right. And he gets up and walks out. This is late at night. And he bumps into a man walking around. So he goes up to the guy and says, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm so miserable with my life. And I was out here walking the streets asking, is there a God? And he said, boy, have I got news for you. Jesus compelled me. He got me out of bed to find you and tell you how good he is. In our world right now, we live in a world of conversion, don't we? People are trying to convert us through advertising, different religions, climate change activists, politicians, ideologies. So we shouldn't be fearful, and most millennials actually are fearful if you're between the age of say 25 and 40, there's a fear that you can't actually share your faith because you don't want to persuade people outside out of their lifestyle. But we live in an age of conversion and what's beautiful about our message is this, is that we have the absolute beauty of humanity. Every single person is made in the image of God and yet alongside that we have the brokenness of humanity, the absolute angst and pain and anxiety of a life without God and a life without purpose. And the beautiful message of the gospel is this. God sees you, yes, as broken, but in that brokenness, I see your beauty. And we call that out of people. And that is why we have the most amazing gospel message. The recognition and satisfaction of the deepest longing of your heart can only be found in Christ. And this is what our young people need and it's what we need for our generation. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to do the stuff. So why do you stand?
Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And to stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon. Thank you.